So there was a movie that cried out for an allegory. Journey to the center of yourself. (laughs) Journey to the center of the universe. Journey to the center of your soul. I'm having none of that this Sunday whatsoever. You see the title. Journey to the center of the earth. Seriously dumb fun. Now, maybe it's just my mindset right now because this is the last official act of ministry I have here at Wellsprings before I go on vacation. And so I'm not in that sort of journey to the center of the soul kind of place right now. But we sort of got into that a lot last week when actually we talked about a comedy, Hancock, but not in a very comic way. We got sort of deep. We talked about the God-shaped holes inside of each and every one of us, the loneliness that sometimes we yearn to have filled in the right and the proper ways. And so I'm not even going to show you a clip of Journey to the Center of the Earth, because frankly, I couldn't do it in the right way. If you're going to see this film, and frankly, I'm agnostic, completely agnostic on whether you go see this film or not. I didn't think it was awful. I didn't think it was great. If you're going to go see it, please see it in 3D. You have to have the glory of seeing Brendan Fraser brush his teeth and then spit mouthwash into your lap. I just, you know, if you're going to go see it, I couldn't have you miss that. I, I want you to have that gift while you, you know, have this time on, on the earth. So I'm not going to show you a clip of the movie because we can't do it justice in 3D here. What I want to show you instead is rather what the movie, I think, represents. What it really is, not all about, but what it points toward. What it is of importance. Some of you have seen this before. It is perhaps the most original thing you've ever seen done with a hundred bottles of Diet Coke and 500 Mento Mints. Seriously dumb fun. Seriously, because there's a lot of thought put into that. Dumb because why do we enjoy so much 500 Mentos dropping into over a hundred bottles of Diet Coke? It's an important part of our lives. To enjoy something that simply has no objective, purposeful meaning. Last week I talked about a professor of mine, one of my favorite professors at seminary, who used the phrase, the anxiety of being, and I talked about it in the context of that movie, Hancock, last week. Anne Yulinoff had another phrase that I really loved. She talked about things that are good for nothing. Things that are good for nothing. Now, if you hear that phrase normally in the vernacular, you're probably thinking, a good for nothing, that person's a so-and-so, they don't do much, they're a layabout, they're shiftless. They don't get much done. But my professor had a different way of thinking about that. She talked about it, and this is a 50-cent word you don't need to remember anyway, non-teleological existence. Non-teleological existence. It's from the Greek word for telos, meaning end, meaning that a lot of us live our lives with ends in mind. It's absolutely necessary. It's necessary for purpose. It's necessary for meaning. But it's always asking the question, what is this good for so that it will move my life a little bit more down the road? What is this good for so that I can get some purpose accomplished? Again, this is a necessary way of living. But if it becomes our only way of living, it is a form of neurosis because we are never inhabiting our lives. We're always just waiting for that next step, the next step, and the next step after that. There's a story, probably apocryphal, about Beethoven that when he had just finished one of his beautiful piano concertos and he sat down to play it, he played it straight through for a private audience, maybe 10 or 15 people, and he had finished the entire thing. And he got up and they applauded him. And when they were done applauding, perhaps because they felt the need to get some speech back out into the room, one of the people in attendance said, what does it mean? 
and Beethoven sat back down at the piano and played it through again exactly as he had before and he got up and he said that is what it means that is an example of good for nothing living is the time when we truly encounter something new or novel or so fresh we don't know what sense to make out of it but still it calls to us it calls to us and we pay attention there are times in all of our lives and i think particularly times in all of your lives when we need to to borrow that great phrase from the talking heads stop making sense stop making sense so that our lives can start to make meaning once again indeed one of the most famous movies of all time in this summer of spiritual cinema that we're doing perhaps the best movie of all time citizen kane that i know many of you many of you have seen falls along the lines of the difference between things making sense and things having meaning you know that if you've seen it that first and that final scene the dying kane the one-time vanguard journalist dying alone and isolated in his palace his xanadu up on the hill and his final word say it rosebud and indeed the whole movie is sort of a mystery story what sense did it make that cain would use this final word rosebud as his valediction to life and indeed if you have seen the movie you know that they never make the sense of it they never make sense of it but we do we get to see in the final scene rosebud the sled his childhood sled tragically and very sadly much like his life going up in flames with no one ever really knowing about it see for all of his power and all of his prestige the one thing that cain wanted more than anything else was the simple experience of sledding down a hill that's what he missed that was his seriously dumb fun and that was what he yearned for at the end of his life the gospels ask a question what does it profit us to gain the world but to lose our soul what does it profit us to gain the world and lose our soul now too often i thought of this and maybe you have as well if you've heard it before as a kind of have too much pride and god's going to smack you god's going to send you to hell kind of thing i don't think really that's what it's about i think in a much more nuanced interpretation it's really this imagine losing your soul that deepest most resonant part of yourself not as imperiling who you are for all of eternity but as a gradual slipping away of the spark that animates you of that spark of joy of that spark of delirious hope that you have when you experience something so real that inner light that shines inside of each and every one of us that i think is what the gospel question is about imagine like cain having all the power in the world and yearning at the end so sadly just for one simple moment of uncomplicated serious fun see if we make sense all the times if your life makes sense all the time to you well i'd like to talk to you because mine doesn't make sense to me all the time and that's good that's a good thing because if we are making sense all the time we are not creating anything new when things come into reality and into being that truly are new we, we confront something that is novel we can't make sense of it right away we can't ask that question what is it good for and so the spiritual practice when we confront something that is new or something that confronts us particularly if we don't understand it it's to not ask that question what is it good for but rather see if we can answer that in a different way 
It's like the original Genesis myth, the creation of our world, that mythic story. After each of the steps of creation, simply the divine says, it was good. It was good. Not it was good for the next day that came after it. Not it was good so I could create more, so to speak. Simply, it was good. This Sabbath day that we share, this day of rest, this is a day when we can and are invited to take a step back, to ask ourselves not our lives always making sense, but rather do our lives, does your life have meaning? The Sabbath is historically a chance to rest, a chance to remember creation, to remember the joy of creation, to imagine the time before things had to make sense all the time for us as adults, and too often that's what we ask. And we can simply say, this is good, connecting with that original sense of what our hearts yearn for. Now, the sacred does not have to equal somber. That is very much our approach here at Wellsprings. I think you get a sense of that already. I want to tell you about when I was first arriving in Philadelphia, and we hadn't had uh, services, Wellsprings here, for a year and a half after we started in the office. And Teresa and I went Christmas Eve. It was Christmas Eve 2005. And I'm not, not going to tell you the particular church or denomination, but we went to a Christmas Eve service. We wanted to try something a little bit more traditional because, you know, I had a vision that we do some kind of different stuff here at Wellsprings. And I have to tell you, this is what Christmas Eve was like at that church. I straight, forward, stern. Ties and jackets. And they were tied up in more than just the, that way. You ever hear the phrase, God's frozen people? I think I found them. This is supposed to be, I'm not a, in any way, obviously, I'm a Unitarian Universalist, I'm not a traditional Christian, but the story of Jesus is a wonderful story of his birth. It's supposed to be a time of joy and mirth, and here are these people just sitting on their lives. And I've got to tell you, I'm a little ashamed of this, but the image that came to me during the time of silent prayer, and actually the thing that I wished for, this is not a nice thing, but the thing that I wished for is that a streaker would have come right down the aisle. Just come on, people, crack a smile, show some joy, have some fun. Just a little bit of frivolity here, a little bit of dumb fun on this night, this day that celebrates something new being born. They sort of missed the boat on that one. That's, that's their shame, not ours. Especially when times get difficult. We need, in all of our lives, some seriously dumb fun. In my life, I think the best example I've ever seen of this was when I was in seminary in the mid to late 1990s. And I was one of just a handful of Unitarian Universalist students. Most of the other students were from, you know, Episcopalianism, Presbyterianism, Methodism, sort of the traditional mainline Protestant denominations. And this was at a time in which, frankly, I think the only way I know how to put it is that, and it's still going on to this day, there was a purge starting of queer people from their midst. It was an incredibly painful time for friends of mine at the seminary, for gay and lesbian friends who thought that their call would be coming to an end because of their faith's stance, so reactionary on human sexuality. And so there were protests and there were letter writings and I was so grateful at that time that I belonged to a denomination that had settled this question in the right way by and large, we gathered 
and we prayed and we shared. But I have to tell you the most transformative thing I experienced was this. In the midst of all that earnestness and that pain and that seriousness, one day in chapel, some fellow students of mine put on a clergy fashion show in drag. The men were in women's clerical outfits, the women were in men's, the Catholics were dressing down as low church Protestants, and the Protestants were dressing up as high church Episcopalians or Catholics. They even got a few of us UUs in collars. Doesn't happen that often. It was outrageous. I mean, they had a catwalk and everything, and people were vamping it up. It was outrageous, and it was decidedly irreverent, and it was incredibly healing. It was incredibly healing because we remembered what it was like to laugh. I mean, there was a lot at stake. There was a lot at stake for some of my fellow students in their call and in their careers. There's a quote that I think applies to this. Emma Goldman, the famous social activist, she said, If I can't dance, I don't want to be part of your evolution. Well, can't laugh, don't want to be part of any religion. The world is in so many ways such a serious place right now. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, one of the great scions of the traditional mystical Hasidic Judaism, wrote once, the world is a narrow bridge and the main thing is not to be afraid. The world is a very narrow bridge and the main thing is not to be afraid. I don't have to list the reasons for all of us and all of you to be afraid right now. There are many in our world. One of the ways that we keep that fear from being overwhelming is remembering to laugh. Remembering, as Robert Frost said in one of the moments when you could almost hear the bitterness starting to come out, he said, forgive, O Lord, my little jokes on thee, and I'll forgive thy great big one on me. (laughs) See, he turned something that was very much a deficiency into an asset by learning to laugh at his situation. This kind of opening for seriously dumb fun Fun that in that original sense of dumb doesn't speak. We don't know what sense it makes and still it calls out to us like those swinging, swinging diet Cokes. Seriously dumb fun allows us and it gives us permission to once again let life out of its pen. You know, like we like to cordon life off sometimes, like to set it aside. We want to put it on that narrow bridge and make it even more narrow and make it even more narrow to ultimately what we're walking is a tightrope and we're just hoping that we won't fall off. We can remember to laugh. We can remember to enjoy this creation as a grace-filled place. Then we can widen that bridge. We can widen the path of our lives if we remember, remember to laugh and expect the unexpected. When we do this, we remember that there is an essential connection between two things at the very heart of existence, between grace and playfulness. Grace, as the song that we sang earlier today said, everything's a miracle. The miracle is that anything is here at all. That is grace. That somehow, some way, the universe has called us all into being. And playfulness, which is the experience of that grace-filled existence for no other reason but that it is very good. No other reason but that this existence has the capacity for great joy. This is my last sort of official act before I'm gone away for 10 days. Our vacation is going to take us to Chicago 
sort of two of the most famous fields in Chicago, the museum and Wrigley Field. If you're a Bears fan, you can throw Soldier Field in there as well, too. Now, we're going to do a lot of good stuff. We're going to see some friends. We're going to eat a lot of good food, and we're going to take in some culture, yes, as well, too. But you know my only goal for this week? You couldn't guess it. Every day, I'm going to eat at least one Chicago-style hot dog. Why? Because I can. And my doctor hasn't told me yet that this is a bad idea. Seriously dumb fun. The opportunity to once again recognize that so many of the small things in life are treasures if we awaken to them. To recall back to mind that this life is a gift and it often does not make sense and very often it doesn't have to make sense but still can be such a great source of meaning and pleasure and joy and grace for all of us. I wish you lives filled with seriously dumb fun. Go out and get some later today. Amen, and may you live in blessing.